0: Hey guys, and welcome back. If you are new here, hi, my name is Sean. Liz is currently sick and either sounds like a man or has no voice, so I'll be your host on this strange journey through lores, legends, and the most horrific thing of all, laundry. Speaking of laundry, the legend we are covering this week may or may not hold a laundry room. Even if it did, you may not even be able to have the time to find it. This location is so massive that you couldn't possibly see everything held within its walls in a single visit. Well, my friends, this is the legend of the House on the Rock. For as long as I can remember, I've heard stories about the House on the Rock and the eccentric items held within its walls. I've heard many whispers about how it came to be based on a rejection from Frank Lloyd Wright that a hoarder, I mean collector, built it to house his most prized possessions and that it is so confusing to navigate that you may never actually find out all of the secrets hiding on the property. So where did this house really come from? What is really hiding inside? Why was it built in the first place? Well, the tale that said Boyum would come to tell a couple of biographers is that a Mr. Alex Jordan Sr. was inspired to build the home after a meeting with Frank Lloyd Wright. It is said that a meeting took place between the years of 1914 and 1923. Jordan Sr. and Mr. Boyum had taken a trip to Talcine, which I don't even know if I'm saying that right, (laughs) to have Frank look at some plans for a building. The Villa Maria, located in Madison, Wisconsin. Jordan Sr. admired the well-known architect and aspired to win his favor. Wright examined the blueprints before telling Jordan Sr. I wouldn't hire you to design a cheese crate or a chicken coop. You're not capable. Well, fuming, Jordan Sr. said to Boyum, I'm gonna put up a Japanese house on one of those pinnacle rocks and advertise it as they were returning along Highway twenty three and pointing to a spire of rock. Wright clearly didn't forget the event, according to Belasic, who also points out that Wright complained publicly to Iowa County officials about the house the Jordans were building, and possibly as a way to get back at Jordan Sr., went on to purchase a nearby piece of land. The House on the Rock website has uploaded information that caused Boyum's accounts into question for the following reasons. The Villa Maria was built in 1923 and designed by well-known architect Frank Riley, not Alex Jordan Sr., both Sid Boyum and Alex Ju- Jordan Sr. were born in 1914 and would have been less than 9 years old when this story was to have happened. Frank Lloyd Wright would have been over 50 years old and unlikely to have known the 9-year-old Said Boyum. Frank Lloyd Wright was in Japan working on the Imperial Hotel project from 1916 to 1922 and would not have likely been in Spring Green when this story was said to have taken place. The veracity of this anecdote is also called into question in Tom Cup's biography of Alex Jordan. Many of the same reasons are given in Tom's book, which also states that the first agreement and extended lease with the Christensen family, who owned Deer Shelter Rock, was made some 30 years later in 1953, and no sign appeared at the road entrance until the house opened for public viewing in 1960. Okay, facts show that the legend has been told for years isn't what really happened. Maybe we take a little closer look into Mr. Boyum, shall we? Sid Boyum was a photographer, fisherman, cartoonist, sculptor, and Alex Jordan's longtime friend. He was crowned World's Champion Liar in the annual Burlington Liars Club National Tournament in 1976. During their 60-plus year friendship, Sid and Alex shared numerous stories and adventures. One story they recounted was about a Packard they had redesigned and manufactured, and when they drove around in it, they would tell a fabricated tale of how the car was once owned by the Hollywood actress, Anne Sheridan. Apparently, Sed felt that Alex should have made a spectacle of himself much like P.T. Barnum. It is believed that this is why Sid fabricated the story about the meeting with Frank Lloyd Wright and his ultimate rejection of Mr. Jordan Sr thus leading to the reason the House on the Rock was built. When said spread this bit of information, Alex had it already passed on to the next life, meaning nobody would be able to ask him about his record of these events. But after doing a little bit of sleuthing, the facts started to come to light and show that the legend was nothing more than another lie from the Champion of Lying. So what really happened, and how did it become the strange attraction it is today? Let's start with Mr. Alexander John Jordan. In 1914, Alex was born to Mary Magdalena Pregler and Alexander P. Jordan in Madison, Wisconsin. He had spent his entire life in Madison until attending St. Norbert's High School in De Pere. He would go on to attend the University of Wisconsin-Madison after graduating from high school and declared pre-med as his major. Alex became dissatisfied with college after roughly a year and dropped out. Alex then bounced around from job to job. He had previously worked as a cab driver and for Railvac. He had also helped his father maintain a family apartment building, the Villa Maria, and he did construction work for him. Alex learned the fundamentals of construction while working for his father. During World War II, he worked as an ammunition maker at Badger Ordnance Company. Alex discovered Deer Shelter Rock in the 1940s and began holding little picnics atop the rock. He subsequently began taking his tent and started camping there. Alex decided he wanted to build something more stable when his tent was blown away one night. This would be the spark to ignite his dreams. Alex began by running the rock and some surrounding land from a local farmer. He began by constructing a tiny studio with a fireplace. Then, with the support of his parents, Alex purchased the 240-acre parcel so that he could create whatever he wanted. What evolved on and around the Deer Shelter Rock was quite spectacular. Even more astounding is the fact that he built much of the original building himself, lugging materials up the 60-foot rock chimney. Alex became upset as people became more and more interested in his activities. Alex planned to charge visitors 50 cents to visit, believing that this would deter them. Nonetheless, many enthusiastically paid the amount. Alex chose to open the house on the rock to the public in 1960. This piqued people's interest and the crowds gathered. Every penny collected throughout the years has gone right back into the house on the rock as he had no alternative means of support. Alex had a major heart attack in 1964, which damaged 30% of his heart. He almost didn't make it. This put an end to his four packs of smokes a day, drinking, eating whenever he was hungry, and sleeping at odd hours. His pilot's license was also revoked by the FAA prior to this medical condition. He had flown his plane from Madison to the House on the Rock, lining on an airstrip near the house's workshops. Now Alex would have to drive from Madison. Alex was in a near-fatal car accident in 1972, having hit a horse broadside. He suffered numerous injuries, including the fractured neck. He healed and continued his dream at the house, although he spent the last years of his life in excruciating pain. Alex was completely devoted to the house. It was his life, his ambition, and his passion. He only spent four nights at the house in his whole life. He lived in Madison in a little apartment in one of the buildings he managed for his parents. He never married or had children, although he shared an apartment with his long-term companion, Jenny Olson, whose apartment adjoined his own. She was the love of his life and stayed with him to the very end. Alex sold the house on the rock to a long-standing business associate, Art Donaldson, a collector and businessman from Janesville, Wisconsin, who shared similar interests with Alex on December 14, 1988. As a privately held family business, the Downson family currently owns and operates the house on the rock. Alex Jordan was a multifaceted and brilliant individual with inexhaustible energy. He became the artistic director after the sale of the house until his death. In his imagination, he never grew old and even his body eventually failed him. He continued to create every day of his life. Alex was hospitalized on October 11, 1989, and died on November 6, 1989, surrounded by friends and associates from congestive heart failure. His final request was for his ashes to be scattered over the House on the Rock, which was fulfilled in December of 1989. Alex's ambition of entertaining tourists from all around the world lives on at the House on the Rock. As he put it, he is still present, but not voting. Now that we understand the why and the how, we can get into the what of it. So what exactly makes this house so interesting? Well, the home itself sits on a rock column that measures 60 by 70 feet by 200 feet on top surrounded by forest. Over the course of several decades, additions to the original structure and other buildings were erected. The complex now includes the Streets of Yesterday, which is a recreation of an early 20th century American town, the Heritage of the Sea, which includes nautical exhibits and a 200-foot model of a fanciful whale-like sea creature, the Music of Yesterday, a massive collection of automatic music machines, and the world's largest indoor carousel, among other attractions. Now, the carousel has 269 animals 182 chandeliers, over 20,000 lights, and hundreds of mannequin angels suspended from the ceiling. Honestly, sounds super creepy to me. Oddly, there are no horses on this carousel. The attraction has a Christmas motif during the winter with decorations and vast collection of Santa Claus statues. Many of the restrooms are decorated with unusual items such as mannequins, flowers, and preserved animals. Honestly, this place is starting to sound horrifying and I would more than likely just, you know, get right out of that one. The early structures, especially the house on the rock, the gatehouse, and the millhouse, are reminiscent of Flink Lloyd Wright's work, though considerably less rationally conceived given the patchwork of external structures and inner rooms. And according to one story, the structure was started mainly to annoy the master architect who ran his communal school near the spring green. These historic buildings include exposed stone, low ceilings, dark woodwork, and antiques on full display. When Jordan sold the house in 1988, His friend continued to add to the collections of knick-knacks and displays containing the original artifacts, reproductions, and specially made examples of everything. The Spirit of Aviation, a collection of huge model airplanes in a themed room, is the most recent addition. Another display, the Transportation Building, is still under construction, although visitors can walk inside and observe the process. The Wisconsin State Journal released a four-part article on the House, which reporter Marv Balasik extended into a self-published book called House of Alex. Jordan Sr., according to Balasik, hired drunks and bums from the Madison streets to help blast the rock. According to Sid Boyum, these employees were sometimes paid with whiskey and sometimes with checks, but Alex Jordan Jr. eventually destroyed the canceled checks to perpetuate the fiction that he built the house himself. The house has inspired various authors and musical groups, the most notable being novelist Neil Gaiman, who used it as a crucial plot piece in his 2001 novel American Gods, as well as the 2017 television series based on it. Parts of the mansion, notably the carousel and infinity room, are included in a dream sequence in the 2017 film American Fable. The house was also used to film 10,000 Maniacs music video for more than this in 1997. I'm sure you are all dying to find out what exactly is inside this so-called house and where these items came from, but I will warn you, there are more secrets and legends within a legend as we dive deeper into the history of the house on the rock. Some of the apparent antiques in the house are genuine, but many are not. Depending on your point of view, they could be called fakes, replicas, or original and imaginative inventions in the style of antiques. Moe's authorized biography implies that the issue of validity is unimportant, stating, While the Regina Sublima music box is a real antique, as are many other pieces and exhibits at the house, everyone knows that other pieces are recreations designed and built on the house property. It's part of the fun, guessing what's real at the house and what is the magic of imagination and recreation. Jordan and his collaborators built the majority of the house's stuff. Jordan's associate, Bob Searles, is quoted by Balasek as saying, We were creating entertainment. We were not making a historically accurate representation. There was never any need to worry about historical accuracy. We were creating a fun place. Jordan's colleague, Bob Searles, for example, created the Phelps car, in the streets of yesterday, out of an old carriage and some motorbike parts. According to Balasek, Searles said, The pleasure of it was that we could make any antiques we wanted. It was essentially one guy's huge sandbox where he continued building things. Jordan occasionally purchased genuine antiques, but usually preferred a good copy that cost less, according to Balasek, who quotes the supplier as saying, I suspect that Jordan would pay more for a good copy than he would for an original because he could sit in the corner and laugh about the way he fooled everyone. In 1978, a disgruntled employee filed a consumer fraud complaint with the State Justice Department, claiming that these claims were nothing short of a lie. Bauer & Cobble of Illinois, for example, manufactured Tiffany lights. The Tusk of Rancapore was named after Richard Rann, a Mazamine antique merchant who had created many of the fakes. Rann is poor. Jordan was barred from making fraudulent statements, the booklet was changed, and the exhibit's misleading placards were removed. The exhibitions, however, kept their colorful names, allowing visitors to guess what they wanted. The room-sized assemblages of what appear to be mechanical musical instruments are partially a trick of the light. Some of the instruments play, but the strings and woodwinds do not. Their sound is supplied by organ pipes, while the moving instruments deceive visitors. The nature of the exhibits is now disclosed, if perhaps not stressed, by management. For example, the current website states, All of the armor shown in this extensive collection was constructed for the House on the Rock. This was not always true. According to Balasek, prior to 1978, pamphlets claim that the gladiator, uh, Calliope? Calliope? Oh, I have no idea. Anyways, this gladiator armor, dated from 1895, that the Franz Josef music machine belonged to the Austrian emperor, that the tusk of Rancopore was real ivory carved by an unknown Punjab artisan, artisan, yeah, and so on. According to the official 1993 brochure, the home boasts the largest collection of Bauer and cobble lamps in the world. The management considers them finer and expects them to be more valuable than Tiffany's and claims that the Four Seasons panels are thought to be the only exact replica of the original very popular Tiffany effort. So if you haven't figured it out by now, we may never actually know what is real and what is an expertly spun story to spark your own imagination. We also may never know the extent of everything that can be found with the expansive property. As the website states, it would take two to three days just to see everything it has to offer. That's if you don't get turned around as there are no guides or markers to lead you from one exhibit to the next. Well friends, it's that time again. I'd like to thank each and every one of you for listening in. I also want to thank each and every one of you for spending a little time with me while uh, Liz is recovering. Just a few quick updates. We do have a Facebook and an Instagram page so that you can get pictures and updates on new episodes as well as fun interactions throughout the week. So feel free to join us over there. Also, if you have any suggestions or just want to say hi, send us a message at lorelegendslaundry at gmail.com. Until next time, bye guys. Oh, don't forget to switch the laundry. Don't you look at me in that tone of voice.